we on? There we go. Happy Fourth of July, everyone. It's good to see everybody. Yes. And aren't the singers incredible? They did an amazing job helping us to worship God. Also want to uh, honor and thank those uh, who do the sound. They do a great job as well every week. And uh, today is meant to be a day to uh, just really encourage us. And, uh, you know, today it doesn't take a lot to encourage us because it's the 4th of July, right? And we know that as soon as we leave church, there's going to be a lot of fun things going on. But, but, but my hope is that church is fun for you today, too. And that, uh, you know, more than just being together, that we really get inspired in our faith this morning. Because it is the 4th of July. And uh, actually, as I was putting together this lesson this week, you know, I thought, I wish that the 4th of July fell on Sunday every year. Because I think we would appreciate so much more the freedom that we have if we got time to meditate on it on Sunday morning. Because it means a lot. And so my goal for you today is to be inspired. And also, uh, this lesson is a little bit different because uh, it's kind of a teaching lesson. You're going to get a history lesson this morning. I hope you're up for that. You're going to hear a lot of quotes from our founding fathers. I hope you're up for that. And I don't know if you're really fond of the King James Version of the Bible, but these quotes are kind of like the King James Version. You know, they they take you back. So I put all the quotes up here so that you can read them. And I'm going to read them for you. But I didn't put the scriptures up on the screen this morning. You're going to have to turn in your Bibles today. You guys, can, can you handle that? Can you stay with me? But I want you to have a better understanding of why and how this country began. What were the personal convictions of those who had the courage to begin this country? And how will today's celebrations of the 4th of July, our 234th birthday as a country, how will that inspire your faith today? What are the freedoms that you appreciate in this country? And what are some of the freedoms that maybe you take for granted in this country? I take a lot of my freedoms for granted. I don't know about you. I just kind of expect it. I was born and raised in California. If you catch me uh, off stage, I'll say dude a lot. I can talk surfer lingo. I can talk Yosemite lingo. I'm a California born and bred, born and raised. And so, you know, I've always lived in the United States and I take so much for granted. How about you? I drive every day. I don't think much of it. I kind of feel like I'm a good driver. I deserve to drive. I should have a driver's license. A lot of you shouldn't. You don't drive very good, but I do. (laughs) That's the way I see it. Turn your Bibles to James chapter 2. We're going to talk about two things this morning. A real faith and a real foundation. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look, and like I said, it's it's, it's, this, this lesson this morning is part inspiration, but it's part history lesson. It's part teaching. For us to get really, really inspired by those that have gone before us. 
Here's a little information about history. The signers of the Declaration of Independence were men of deep religious conviction. Based in the Bible and their Christian faith in Jesus Christ. Of the 56 men who signed the Declaration of Independence, nearly half, 24 of them, held seminary or Bible school degrees. And Gabe talked about it, you know, those who signed the Declaration of Independence, that's, that's what we're celebrating on the 4th of July. My understanding is only 1 in 20 Americans really know the reason why we celebrate today. People have a lot of different ideas of, of why we do that, but we do it because of the Declaration of Independence. Because we talk today about, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. That they are endowed by who? Their creator. You think these men have some faith in God? I'm not, I'm not totally convinced that each of these men who signed the Declaration of Independence, uh, of Independence meant to impose their view of God on our government or on you. But I am convinced that they were men of deep conviction. That there was a creator. And that creator bestowed upon you certain rights as a human being. The right to equality. We're all equal in this room. Look around the room for a minute. You probably don't look much like the person even sitting right next to you. And for some of us, that is a good thing. For some of us, you know, we're pretty good looking. You you could use a few more of you. But God created each of us unique and special and different, but equal with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Isn't that awesome? That our forefathers believed they had a faith that in our lives we should pursue happiness. Now, people search for happiness in a lot of different places, right? And hopefully this morning we understand at least a little bit that we're going to find true joy in God. That's where it's going to be found. Check out this guy. This guy looks like Robert Lickfeld would look. That's some radical hair right there. I dig that. I think I might try that out for my next marathon coming up. I'm going to grow the big old sideburns and... What do you think, honey? She got the thumbs up. See, I have rights in my marriage. I can grow the sideburns. But I also understand that there are consequences for the decisions I make. There's consequences for my freedom. And I will not kiss my wife for two months if I grow a beard like that. I have to count the cost. The sixth president of the United States. And I just want to go through and just talk about what are some of the convictions that some of these men had. The hope of a Christian is inseparable from his faith. Whoever believes in the divine inspiration of the Holy Scriptures must hope that the religion of Jesus shall prevail throughout the earth. This is a president. Can you imagine a president saying this today? Now listen to what he says here. Listen to the hope that this president has. Never since the foundation of the world have the prospects of mankind been more encouraging to that hope than they appear to be at the present time. 
Never before in history has the, the gospel been so ripe to spread as it is in my presidency. Scholars will tell you today that we are just now entering in America the post-Christian era. Times have changed. And the deep hope that our sixth president had that America would grow to become something great in the name of Jesus has become something very different. But understand the state of Christianity when the United States began, this is something very interesting because even as disciples, we can kind of look around at our culture today and go, ah, you know, there's so many churches and, you know, there's a lot of watered down religion and it's not good. And how do we ever get to this place? Well, how we got to this place was our forefathers wanted to begin a country where people could have the freedom to choose to love God. And this was the first place, the first country that did not have an official state religion. If you lived in England, you had a state church. If you lived in my home country, Sweden, you had a state church. If you lived in Italy, you had a state church. But if you came to America, you could go on a search for God on your own convictions. And so while in some ways it's kind of disheartening today to look around and see so many different churches, it's also in some ways an amazing experiment that this was the first place where people truly had religious freedom. And the beliefs of our forefathers was that that freedom would spread, it would grow, it would become something great. But it wasn't just hundreds of years ago that this was stated. Even 60 years ago, Earl Warren, who is a chief justice, highly liberal in his beliefs. But he said in a speech in 1954, I believe no one can read the history of our country without realizing that the good book and the spirit of the Savior have from beginning been our guiding geniuses. Charters for the original colonies, he added, all pointed to the same objective. Every charter, every colony, a Christian land governed by Christian principles. Is that our country today? Patrick Henry actually proudly said, it cannot be emphasized too clearly and too often that this nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not on religion, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now listen to this. For this very reason, peoples of other faiths have been afforded asylum, prosperity, and freedom of worship here. You know, in some ways, for the Founding Fathers, the freedom to worship, the freedom from tyranny, the asylum, even if it wasn't the religion they would subscribe to, it was part of the crowning jewel of America that for the first time people could come and choose to love God. It wasn't forced upon them. It wasn't only one way to do it. And isn't that what God really wants from you and I? He wants for us to choose him. To choose to love him. Just like you want your children to choose to love you. Just like when you walk in from a long day, you want your kids to run up and give you a big hug and say, I love you. 
Now, if you're like my children, many times you have to coerce them. Put down the Wii remote and come give me a hug. Come say hello. Sometimes we're that way with God, aren't we? But that's not what he wants. And so for our country, the freedom of religion was a big deal. It was, it was an exciting thing. Who's that? It's all about the Benjamins, right? Signer of the Declaration of Independence, one of the greatest inventors our country has ever known. Here is my creed. I believe in one God, the creator of the universe, that he governs it by his providence, that he ought to be worshipped. Hope you got a chance to worship God this morning. Who's that? Thomas Jefferson. Of all the systems of morality, ancient or modern, which have come under my observation, none appears to me so pure as that of Jesus. Now, not all of these men exemplified the greatest of Christianity in their lives, but these were super, super intelligent men. These were logical men. And they examined the scriptures, and it made sense. John Jay, in the forming and setting of my belief relative to the doctrines of Christianity, I adopted no articles from creeds, but such only as on careful examination, I found to be confirmed by the Bible. Only that which was in the Bible would John Jay confirm. He was the first Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court. Who's that? Hopefully we're getting a little better now. I'll forgive you if you didn't recognize John Jay, but you ought to get this one. It is the duty of nations as well as men. Think about that for a minute. It is the duty of nations as well as men to own their dependence upon the overruling power of God, to confess their sins. And transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with the assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon. Can you imagine a president saying that today? That'd be awesome. And to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all history that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord. Wow. James chapter 2. We're going to talk about a couple of points this morning. How's your faith doing? Point number one, a true faith. It's interesting to see some of the comments and the quotes of these men because oftentimes you find it parallel with the Bible. This is Benjamin Franklin quoted in 1738. I think vital religion has always suffered when orthodoxy, that could be like legalism, rules, is more regarded than virtue. So you're, you're more concerned with rules than the heart. The scriptures assure me that at the last day we'll shoot, not be examined on what we thought, but on what we did. What is true faith? James chapter 2, verse 20. We're going to turn the scriptures this morning. 
You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's what the scripture says. He was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. How is your faith this morning? Do you have a true faith? Do you have what the Bible would define as a complete faith? Because without action, without acting on our beliefs, the Bible says our faith is incomplete, inadequate. It doesn't measure up. And yet it holds up Abraham as this example. Why is he held up as as an example? Because he lived out his beliefs. Fits exactly with what Benjamin Franklin believed. The scriptures assure me that the last day we shall not be examined on what we thought, but on what we did. That's true faith. True faith is completed by our deeds. You know, we're embarking on 50 days of faith. We're well into it. But I wonder how your faith is doing in the 50 days. A true faith. I wish it, meaning Christianity, we're still with Ben Franklin, were more productive of good works. Don't you wish Christianity was more productive of good works? I mean real good works. Not the fake stuff. Not holy day keeping. Not just going to church on Sunday. Sermon hearing. Well, that's what you're doing right now. Making long prayers filled with flatteries. God, you're so awesome. And compliments. But really despised by wise men. Saying the right things, doing, saying the right things but doing something completely opposite. Despised by wise men and much less capable of pleasing God. I wish Christianity were more full of good works. I wish people really lived out their faith. You know, we see the consequence over hundreds of years of people not living out their faith. We have a culture today that is inept in their faith. You go, no, it's not that bad. Why don't you come out, come, come, come sharing your faith with me at campus this week. You'll find out how bad it is. The generation that's coming up after you does not believe in God. Certainly doesn't believe in this. Yeah, I've gone to church. Yeah, I go with my parents sometimes. Do you believe the Bible? No. Go to Europe. Try sharing your faith there. Europe's about 30 years ahead of where we're at. Very few people believe in the Bible. Who's that? Anyone got a $10 bill in here? Alexander Hamilton. I have carefully examined the evidences of the Christian religion. And if I was sitting as a juror upon its authenticity, I would unhesitatingly give my verdict in its favor. I can prove its truth 
as clearly as any proposition ever submitted to the mind of man. You think Hamilton was convinced? I'd say so. Let's look at why he was convinced. Whoa, I went too fast. John chapter 7. There we go. True faith can be proven. John chapter 7. It's a teaching lesson. It's a history lesson. But I hope it inspires you and I hope it sobers you to the condition of our world today. John chapter 7. You know, sometimes people subscribe to blind faith. It's a faith that's blind. It's a faith that just believes no matter what the circumstances. No matter what science says, I'm just going to believe. No matter what other people say, I'm just going to believe. But you know what's interesting? Jesus never expected you to have blind faith. Because Jesus knew that true faith can be proven to be true. That's exactly what Alexander Hamilton believed. He said, I can prove it. I've seen it. John chapter 7, verse 16. Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. How do we know? How can it be proven? How can we know if faith in the Bible is real? Just try it out. Just live it. I know we have a lot of family here today. I really want to welcome you to our church. We are a church that believes in living out the scriptures. You with me, church? We believe the scriptures are true. And if you live it out, it will radically change your life. You'll see it. You can have a successful marriage in a world where 70% of the marriages fail. You can have that if you live by the Bible. You can raise your kids to be full of character, integrity, and to love God. In a world where kids don't even believe in, in God anymore. You can have dating relationships that are completely pure. We went to Jake Rock's wedding yesterday, Mike and Libby's son. Both of them completely pure. Both of them virgins getting married. So cool. Super impacting. Our religious world doesn't believe that's possible. True faith can be proven. It can be lived out. You can see it. Jesus says it again. He doesn't just say it once. Look in John chapter 8. You know this song. We sing it. To the Jews who had believed, Jesus said, Hold to my teachings and you're really my disciples. And the... If you do what? Then you'll what? Then you'll know the truth. And then you'll be set free. From what? Set free from sin. We're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves of anyone. That's another history lesson for another day. But that just wasn't true. There's Egypt. There's Assyria. There's Babylon. There's Greece. 
And now there's Rome sitting right there in the middle of slavery. That's what happens when we're really, really religious. We can't see the truth right there in front of our face. Maybe that's where you're at this morning. You're enslaved to sin right now. But I got good news for you. True faith can be proven. You can be set free from sin. The forefathers believed that. That's what true faith was for them. And so they were very excited about the proposition of a country being founded where people could discover these truths for themselves. And that opportunity still exists today. We're still free. We can still read our Bibles. We can still go out on campus and share our faith. And you don't really get persecuted that much. Well, actually, that's not true. You see, this week, a brother shared his faith. He got punched in the face twice. I don't think I've ever seen a greater demonstration of Jesus than I have in this brother. Not recently. You walked away from it. You go, well, maybe he deserved it. He didn't. I was right there. Hey, do you want to come to Bible talk? That'll happen sometimes when you're really living out your faith. It's not very common. It'll happen. When's the last time you were persecuted? Because of your faith. Stepping out on faith. Doing something radical for God. All he did was share his faith. That's it. How about you and me? I can prove its truth as clearly as any proposition ever submitted to the mind of man. True faith is seen. It's lived. And this is why it would appeal to intelligent men. Men who build countries. It's logical. It makes sense. Yeah, I can see how that works. How well are you doing on your 50 days of faith? Anything different about you? You tried something exciting? There's a campus ministry tomorrow. We're fasting. And for those of us who are really bold, we're fasting two days. Now, I don't remember the last time I fasted two days. I've got to be honest with you. It's been a while. I used to do it a lot. But I'm already planning my meal tonight. And let me tell you, it's going to be big. It's going to be big. So I'm going two days. You go, why would you do something like that? I've got to stretch my faith. It's been a while. It's been too long. Way too long. I want to appeal to God for the world we're a part of. I mean, what is it that's going to change our world? The politicians? The government? And I'm not making any political statements today. I'm just saying it's the people in this room that will change the world. It's you. It's men and women of true faith that will change the world or that will not change the world. You're the world's hope. God believes in you. He's given you something significant, something special. Real faith. Christianity that can be lived out. So many of you in this room, you're a miracle story. Someone met you in a grocery store late at night. They had no business talking to you, but they did anyway. Somebody met you on campus. A family member reached out to you. you your life changed. You're different. You can't argue with the changed life. You just look at it and go, man. People still laugh at me 
the guy I used to be to the guy I am today? You know, I was the one at my high school reunion that got weirdest profession. I got that award. Me and Steve Lounsbury, we both got that award. We came back to our high school reunion and said, I'm a minister. That's the weirdest thing I ever heard. You get the weirdest profession award. Why? Because there's nothing like that in my life. My life radically changed. There's a difference. So is yours. There's a difference. We got to hold to our faith. We got to claim our faith strong. We got to live our faith for God. Amen. True faith can be proven. Point number two, a true foundation. Turn your Bibles to Psalm 127. A true foundation. Rock solid foundation. Foundation that can stand up under any storm. Who's this guy? Dollar bill. Some, some guy. Look what he said. It is impossible to rightly govern in this world without God and the Bible. That's a pretty strong statement. I think you might agree. Let's go back to good old Ben. Ben's got a lot of good quotes. We have been assured in the sacred writings that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. I firmly believe this. Look over in Psalm 127. I'll be wrapping it up shortly. Go to your barbecues and have your parties. History lesson's almost over. Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand in guard in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. For he grants sleep to those he loves. Ben Franklin, we've been assured in the sacred writings that except the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain to build it. I firmly believe this. I also believe that without God's concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. Without God, none of this is going to happen. The Tower of Babel fell because people weren't doing it for God. Ben Franklin understood that. What are you building your house on today? Do you really know the Bible? Can you say, you know, I'm building on solid foundation, solid structure. I know the scriptures and they're being lived out in my life. Because unless God builds the house, you you, you might have all kinds of opinions about what God thinks or, or what God is. But if you don't know it from the scriptures, all you're doing is creating God in your mind. There may be no truth to your foundation at all. What are you building your family on? How are your family devotionals going? Are you building it on the Bible? Your relationships with other men, with other women, co-workers, people in your classes. You know, we get all up in arms and put our finger at the government and say, man, they're really messing it up. But is God your true foundation? We need to start with ourselves. Psalm 127. Let's look over in Ephesians 2. Lots of scriptures about this. Ephesians 2, verse 19. We're not used to turning the pages. That's all right. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, 
but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Isn't that encouraging? You have citizenship. You know, lots of people become citizens today on the 4th of July. It's very special. We actually have a woman that's going to become a citizen of God's household today. Isn't that awesome? You're going to get to see that in a couple minutes. It's pretty cool. It's awesome when you're a citizen because you have rights. And when you're a citizen of God, you have rights in God's kingdom. But it's built on something. Verse 20. This household is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. With Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. See, it's got to be built on the right thing. If it's not built on the right thing, it will fall. 2 Timothy 3 talks about this. Turn over there. While you're turning there, I'll put up another quote. Anyone know who that is? Everyone's thinking oatmeal. I know, I know, I know what you're thinking. But who is that guy on the oatmeal? Mr. Quaker. Okay, we're getting closer. William Penn, thank you very much. One of our uh, Cal Poly UNLV students over here got that one right. William Penn, founder of Pennsylvania. Okay, that's who that was. He's got a pretty good uh, head of hair there. That's pretty awesome. I like that lid he's wearing. That's good. What does he say? I do declare that the whole world... To the whole world that we believe the scriptures to contain a declaration of the mind and will of God. That they ought also to be read, believed, and fulfilled in our day. Being used for reproof and instruction that the man of God may be perfect. Sorry. They are a declaration and testimony of heavenly things themselves. And as such, we carry a high respect for them. We accept them as the words of God himself. Imagine a governor saying that today. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, maybe yours says reproof, correcting and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Have you ever gone camping and you forgot something? What did you forget? Flashlight? Fire? Toilet paper. Someone said it. Yeah. That's a bummer. Someone said it. That's never good. You don't realize you forgot it until you need it. Starts to get dark at night. You go, where's my flashlight? Oh, I'm not thoroughly equipped. Man, it's cold out here. I need some fire. Oh, I forgot the matches. Oh, I'm not thoroughly equipped. You know, God wants you to be thoroughly equipped. He wants you to have the answer for everything in your life. But you've got to have a true foundation. And the Bible says here that all scripture is God breathed. It's all from God and it's useful. How useful is your Bible? How many times did you open it this week? Is it really useful? Or is it ornamental? I got a red Bible. It's nice and pretty. I can set that on my shelf. It looks nice and pretty. 
But do I open it? Do I use it? Use for what? Teaching. Where do you get taught? At school. Who teaches you? Teacher. The Bible's useful when someone teaches you. Rebukes you. When do you get rebuked? <laughs> Who said that? At home, Sarah Loya. Oh, boy. Okay, Sarah, we're going to go with this one here. Sarah, who rebukes you? Your dad. Yeah, that sounds like a good dad right there. For what, what father does not discipline his child, right? That's, that's biblical. Good job, Robert Loya. That's right. Sarah, do you ever rebuke yourself? No, certainly not. What is a rebuke? A rebuke is a strong correction. Why don't we rebuke ourselves? Because we do things because we think they're good to do. Typically, rebuking comes from outside of us. Somebody using the scriptures to say, hey, your life isn't going the right direction. I don't correct myself a whole lot. Usually I'm corrected by highway patrol officer, my wife. Even my children. But I don't usually correct myself. Training. Who trains you? Coaches. Gym fitness guy. P90X dude trains you. I'm going to do that at some point. I am. It's too tempting. Got to try it. But, you know, there comes a point when I go to the gym and I just don't see it. I need help. I need training. There's time I need training in the scriptures. How about you? How are your times with your admonishment partner going? You getting some training? You getting into the scriptures together? See, brothers and sisters, I want to call you higher this morning. I want to call you higher in your foundation and I want to call you higher in your faith. What's at stake? Well, it's just my life and it's not a big deal. And who cares how I live? I'm, I'm a pretty good disciple. I come on Sunday. Look at the world around you. You are the difference maker. You are the game changer. You are the one that God has put in this world with a true faith and the potential for a great foundation to radically change lives in this area. On your campus. At your job in your family, in your neighborhood. Do you believe that? Do you have that kind of faith that these men did? Ephesians chapter 1, let's finish here for our communion. Ephesians chapter 1. Take the 50 days of faith challenge. Do something. You don't have to be in the campus ministry to fast with us tomorrow. You can do it if you want. It's up to you. You have the choice. You're free. You live in this country. It doesn't have to be fasting. It could be something entirely different, entirely personal with you and God. But are you stepping out on faith? Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to read here in verse 4. Look at this uh, last quote. I messed myself up. Thank you. The Bible will also inform, this is John Jay. The Bible will also inform them that our gracious creator, this is the first U.S. Justice Supreme Court, 
We're nominating one now, by the way. This is the first one. The Creator has provided for us a Redeemer, in whom all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. This Redeemer has made atonement for the sins of the whole world, and thereby reconciling the divine justice with divine mercy has opened a way for our redemption and salvation. And that these benefits are of the free gift and grace of God, not of our deserving, nor in our power to deserve. We are a country that feels like we deserve something. You're owed something for living in this country, aren't you? You're not really owed anything unless you move to Alaska. If you move to Alaska, you automatically get a state reimbursement of $1,400 on your taxes. Because they got a lot of oil and not a lot of people living there. Outside of that, you don't deserve squat. And neither do I. We can't walk around acting like we deserve anything. That is a flawed mentality. But this mentality, this is a saving mentality. Look what he says in Ephesians. Sounds just like this, doesn't it? For he chose us, verse 4. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through, through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together, under one head, even Christ. God's vision for our world is so incredible. This is what God wants the world to be like. Unified. Loving each other. Taking care of one another. How do you know? How can you tell? Because He gave His Son for all of us. Why did He do that? To redeem us. He expressed his love for you and me first so that we might love him back. Although many times we may choose not to. We're going to pray for the bread and for the, for the cup. But I hope that today your faith is called higher. I hope that as you take the communion this morning, there is a deep welling sense of gratitude in your heart. Because the truth is, we don't live in a time when our government officials are promoting Jesus. But you're still a disciple. How lucky are you? How lucky am I? That we can have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. We don't deserve it. We've done nothing deserving of it. As you celebrate the birthday of our country today, don't just recognize a holiday. Be inspired to live a life of faith. Be inspired to live a life of freedom. Be inspired to live a life of spiritual conviction built on the foundation of the Scriptures. You know, my hope is that for everybody in this room tonight, when you're watching fireworks, you know, you watch the fireworks, they're really cool. Some of you, I know you go to Disneyland a lot, so it doesn't impress you as much, but, you know, fireworks are generally pretty cool. 
I'll sit there with my kids and they're oohing and on, and then there'll be one really big one to catch you off guard. And you go, whoa, that's awesome. I want you to think about God in that moment tonight. How awesome God is. You know, we got a phone call this week from Stacy's sister. One of our big prayers this year is that Stacy's sister would get a job. You know, she's been out of a job for months and it's been really tough. She had a lot of health challenges. We got the call this week. I got a job. I was like, wow, that's, a, that's, a, that's one of our big prayers. There it is. It's like that big firework. Boom! Whoa! That's awesome. I thought, maybe God's on a roll right now. What were my other big prayers? I'm going to throw some up real quick. I thought, you know what? There's, there's a guy I've been praying for. I need to call him today. An hour later, he called me. I was like, man, God. Boom! That's awesome. What are your big prayers? You know, to my shame, my faith has not been as strong as I'd like it to be. Maybe you've been there too. There's been many days this year I have not prayed for my big prayers. But I'll tell you the lesson I learned from God this week is don't give up on your big prayers. Don't do it. Don't get lured into the culture of this world that says God can't do it because he can. We've got to fight for that faith. Real faith. And I repent. I'm praying. Let's pray together. And let's watch the fireworks tonight. And let's envision a big God that can do big things in our lives. Big things in our community. Big things through our church. Big things through our brothers and sisters. God's going to answer our big prayers. Let's pray as we take the communion. God, thank you so much for loving us. Father, you're incredible. We don't deserve you. We don't deserve anything. We thank you that you love us. You take care of our needs. You protect us.